What, what a great thing for us to believe together, right? That Christ is the, the cornerstone of this. How important is this local ministry? I think this is what Jesus has for us. He gave to us the church. He wanted us to not be walking through this Christian life alone, right? We're, we're supposed to be in this together. I love that Marshall shared this. He was like, I didn't want to go, you know, where you were comfortable and familiar with alone. And Jill didn't want to go to India alone because just because it was what she knew. It was like, we want to go where we can do this together with other people. We get to to reach our community together. This is what we, we do in, in the children's ministries. We're trying to help parents disciple and train and equip their children to understand and know the scriptures. So they can understand and know who God is and who Jesus is. That's what we do in youth ministry. We're coming alongside parents, discipling kids, trying to make, help them be prepared uh, to shine brightly for Jesus in their, their schools so that they're ready to be adults. right? And you all, you adults, this is why you're here every Sunday, right? Have you thought about it, why you're here today? Is it just because this is what we do on Sundays, or is it because there's some benefit here that we get from being together and, and um, being under Dean's teaching and his instruction? There's some blessing that we get as we get to know the word better, as we uh, grow in our own faith, and as we grow together with other believers so that we can shine even more brightly here. We're not supposed to be doing um, this alone. I want to be sharing um, out of 2 Corinthians 9 this morning. Will you turn there uh, with me? 2 Corinthians 9, I want to read verses 1 through 15. Second Corinthians 9, 1-15. through 15. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness. Let me talk about a little bit about this ministry to the saints that he's talking about. He's talking about uh, a there was a, a great famine during this time, years of famine, and they were collecting money to give to the church in Jerusalem. That, the church there was especially hard hit. The, it, the famine hit everywhere. But the church in Jerusalem was really struggling, and so Paul is collecting money for them. So that's this ministry that he's talking about. He says, it's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry. To the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, namely that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they go ahead of you to arrange, go ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness or not grudgingly given. 
Now I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed as it is written. He scattered abroad and gave gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Uh, I want to talk to you all this morning a little bit about four values that we have in missions, four things that our church has identified and said that we think that these things are important. And these things that, that are on the wall in the, in, the, in the hallway out there that we're going to be looking at this morning, these aren't just ideas and phrases that we came up and we were like, yeah, hey, that sounds good. These are things that we believe are biblical values. And the first one is that we're supposed to have global partners. I want us to think about how much we love our ministry here, but think about also the fact that we are supposed to not only be involved here, but be involved in ministries around the world. This says that we support missionaries and mission organizations in our community and around the world because we believe that God is a global God. God God is doing exactly what Marshall referred to, saving people from every tribe and tongue so that at the end there's going to be a great diversity in the people who worship God. We aren't supposed to do this alone, and we can see that in this passage of Scripture, right? Because did you see um, the great community of people who are coming together? It's not just the church in Achaia, which is that, that portion of southern Greece. So when he says Achaia, he's talking about this church in Corinth. That's where Corinth is in southern Greece. This letter is written to the church there in Corinth or in Achaia. So he's writing to this church in Achaia, and he's talking about the fact that they have inspired another group of people Right, You see it there in verses 1 and 2. They've inspired the Macedonians to give. And the Macedonians are giving, and the Achaeans, the Corinthians, are giving to the church in Jerusalem. And God is doing this all together because they are all partnered together. I was thinking about the fact that Sam Ropp, remember we prayed for him um, last week. He's on his way. He's not on his way. He's there. Sorry. He's in northern Macedonia, not in the exact same area, but right in that same area right now. And I think that's so cool. Right, that he was able to um, share the gospel this morning with a group of, of deaf Muslims and deaf Christians. And so continue to pray for him as he continues to shine brightly for the Lord. We're, we are global Christians, and we have global partners, and we aren't doing um, this alone. There's no place for lone wolves, right? 
in the body of Christ. We're supposed to pray together and prepare together and encourage each other. And as we do that, we have an expanded understanding and an expanded view of the kingdom of God. It's not just us, but it's us along um, with other people. Paul saw himself um, as partners um, with the churches that he started and that he continued um, a relationship with. Um, What did it mean for the churches that partnered with Paul? Take a look um, at 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. Or sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 2. If you look back at um, Paul's first letter to this church, to this church in Corinth, um, he describes it being partners meant that they were together, first of all, in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what they're together in. The reason that they're partners is because they're together, not just, um, they aren't together in location necessarily. They aren't together necessarily based on kind of their previous life experiences, but what what they are together in is that they're together in Christ. This is something that we all have in common. We all come from different places. We all have different experiences, but one thing that brings us together and unites us is the fact that we've all, like Paul was writing to the Corinthians, called on the name of Jesus. That's the starting point. Um, if you went on a, a mission with someone, if you got like dropped off on a desert island like on these TV shows and you had to survive for like a week with somebody, would you want that person to be kind of headed in the same direction as you, right? What are some characteristics of that person? What if they had a completely different goal? It wouldn't work out. When, when there's a mission, you want to be on mission with the people that have the same goal. Otherwise, there's just like sabotage and undermining and subterfuge, and we don't have any time for that. We need to all be headed in the same direction with the same foundation so that we're accomplishing the same purpose. They are together in Christ. We, with our partners, are together in Christ. Uh, Paul talks about being partners with people also in suffering. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 6, and 7, at the beginning of this second letter, Paul says this, But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, you will also be sharers of our comfort. The trials are going to come. These people that Paul was ministering to, he wasn't with them, but he understood that they were going through difficult trials as well. This famine was affecting everyone, and there were other things, other trials that they were going through. And just as sure as Paul was that the trials were going to come, do you see what he's encouraging them in? You can also be sure that God is a God who helps and God is a God who comforts. Just as you know that the challenges are coming, you can also rest assured that God is a God um, who helps. And he wants to comfort us and grow our faith and expand our ministry to others. They were together in Christ, they were together in suffering, and they were also together in ministry. 2 Corinthians 9, 1 and 2, this is what we've read. The context here is this, that the church in Jerusalem is suffering, and Paul and others are collecting gifts to support this church. And this church uh, in Corinth was ready. They were the first ones. They were, they were eager to give. They were enthusiastic to give. And the churches in Macedonia uh, were stirred up and inspired uh, by their generosity. And they were ready uh, to give as well. So here we have an idea of a global church ministering um, to people in the name of Jesus. Um, the next commitment and value that we have as a church is a strong commitment. We want to be engaged 
with what God is doing and take some initiative. This is the commitment that our church has said that we have to learn, to pray, to serve, and to support. And, and the reason that I, I say we need a strong commitment, not just a commitment, is because it's really easy for us to say that we want to help but then to not actually do it. See, time worked differently uh, back then, but do you see the way that Paul is concerned that the church in Corinth was just going to say that they wanted to help, but then to not actually help? That's what he's saying. He's like, I want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready. You said you're going to be generous, but when I get there, I hope that you actually follow through. He references that in chapter 8 as well. You can look at that. Um, see, Paul is identifying a fault in human nature. That a lot of times we have good intentions, but we don't actually um, follow through. Um, good intentions don't actually accomplish anything. You might be familiar with James 1. I want to read, uh, sorry, James 2. I want to read verses 14 through 17 as uh, the Apostle James addressed this, this same fault in human nature. In James 2, 14 through 17, he says, What use is it, uh, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister was, is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is it? Even so, faith, if it, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. James was identifying the same things as, as Paul. It's easy for us to say, oh, you know, I hope you make it, I hope you feel encouraged, I hope you feel supported, and then to not actually do the things that we understand are necessary. This is what we've said. We want to learn, we want to pray, we want to serve and support, and so let's make sure that we actually um, do these things. I wanted to, to highlight a couple of ways that we can learn, and if you um, go to our website, um, we've got uh, a video of this, just navigated this really quick. If you go to our homepage, go up to ministries, um, come down to missions, uh, scroll down a little bit here in our global partner section. You see a tab for families. You can click on that and you can see a list of all the families um, that our church uh, supports here. And uh, if you, Marshall, that's that old picture I was talking about, man. Uh, click on recent update. Here's like the most recent update from Michael and Megan Rock. Um, you can read what's going on in their uh, ministries here, the other families uh, that we support. And then if you go back and click on organizations, you can see some of the um, international and local uh, ministries that we support and find out uh, what's going on with them. Um, I will also remind you that those updates are sent to you all in the newsletter. And so you might have seen a picture of like one of the missionary families that we support. Um, you can click on that. And I will mention also, uh, just in particular, that the Lewises have asked that we not post their emails on our website. And so the only way to get that is through the newsletter that Karen sends out. So if you want to uh, stay up to date uh, with, the, with what's going on in their ministry, um, the only way to find that is going to be uh, through the, the newsletter, or you can reach out to Mark Marshall directly, and I can help you do that. But um, we've, got, we've got to learn to know what's going on. We've, we, we've made a commitment to pray. This is something that we have the opportunity to do together as a, as a body um, every Wednesday night. Um, the, the, the things that our missionaries have asked us to pray for uh, are, are on that prayer list. And if you aren't available to come on Wednesday night, uh, that list is also in the, uh, in the newsletter that, that Karen sends out. When Marshall was talking about what they were doing when the pandemic first hit, he said that they just prayed. And what a great way to spend your time. 
Right, what, what a great thing to do to, to say, because a lot of people would just spend all their time trying to frantically figure out how they're going to get through the pandemic and how this is going to change what they're doing, and they just stopped and prayed and said, we need to trust the Lord during this time. We want to uh, serve, and this is when, when the organizations and families that we support, um, when they let us know that there's a need, uh, you, you all are amazing in your ability to uh, jump in and provide for people who have, who have asked uh, for help. Sometimes it means going to where they are. Sometimes it means coming alongside them in ministry. We just recently, you know, collected Christmas gifts for the place because we recognize that there is an opportunity there to, to minister the love of Christ to people uh, just by um, helping their, meet their needs. Um, do you remember when the, the Tyrios sent me a message about this opportunity that they had to minister to the Rohingyas? I sent a message to our elders, and within the hour, our elders were like, yes, we're going to do it. And then I was able to wire money to the TREOs to support the uh, that opportunity that they had to feed uh, the Rohingyas who, who didn't have any food. Like, what an amazing opportunity we have to serve and to support uh, missionaries like the Lewises and others that we have. We were able to do that because of, of your um, generosity. I don't want to guilt you into it. Paul wasn't trying to guilt them into it. He was just saying, hey, remember that this is the commitment that we've made, and let's follow through. We also need to give generously. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 12, we see that God loves a cheerful giver. Right there at the end of verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Do you know why God loves do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because he is a cheerful giver. I love that that verse that we started out with this morning before the first song that Ron highlighted and now I'm highlighting it too. It was in here already. God did it. Every good and perfect gift comes from him because he is the first cheerful giver. He is the great example. He gives and so we give. We give because he gave first. And so why does the Lord want us to give generously? Why does the Lord want us to live generously? He mentions it here uh, in a couple of different places. The first reason he says is so that we will increase our harvest of righteousness. That's in the end of verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. God's desire is that we would be mature, that we would be complete, that we would not be lacking in anything. And so what he's going to do is as he gives and as he blesses us, he gives us the opportunity to give, not so that we can get more money, but so that we can be more like Jesus. That he's going to, as we give, increase our righteousness, the good things that we do. This is what he says, if you flip over or look back um, to chapter 8, look at um, 8-7. Paul says, just as you abound in everything, in faith and speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel 
in this act of grace also, he's talking about being generosity. He says, this is a way for you to continue to grow in faith. It's a very Paul thing to say. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he was talking about their love. And he was like, hey, you guys love. Love even more. And he's telling us here, be faithful and, and be righteous in the way that we live our lives, in, the, in our speech, in our actions, in our giving, and do it even more. Be even more generous because God is a generous God. It's not normal. It's not normal to be generous because it's not easy to be generous because it takes humility and it takes trust. But this is the, the treasure that lasts forever. Paul quoted... Um, from Psalm 112. He's quoted Psalm 112, verse 9. Uh, This is what it says. It's written and remains forever. He, this generous and benevolent person, scattered abroad. He gave to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. See that? The, The gift results in righteousness that lasts forever. That's the, the real treasure, is what God is doing in our lives and in other people's lives. God wants us to live generously, not only because it increased the harvest of our righteousness, but it also increases um, thanksgiving that's returned back to God. God's the first giver. Everything we have is from him. But I, I want us to remember that the enemy hates the glory of God. The enemy wants to trick us and deceive us to limit the praise and glory that God receives as a result of his abundant blessing to us. The enemy wants you to be entitled and to think that you've earned it and that you deserved it and that you get to be the one who decides how um, your resources and your time are used. But for those of us who have, who have been made new, whose eyes have been opened, we see things differently and we receive differently. Right? As we receive, instead of thinking, oh, Yes, and piling it up and imagining what we can do with it. We look and we say, God, what do you want to do with this? We receive differently and we give. And we give so that praise will be multiplied um, to God. We give generously so that praise will be multiplied to God. It comes from him and we receive it and we say, God, thank you. This comes from you. And now as I give it, to someone else or minister to someone else, our prayer is that they would receive it and that they would do the exact same thing, that they would see that it comes from God and that they would turn back praise and thanksgiving and worship and they would recognize that God is the one um, who, is, who is the ultimate giver, that all of these things come from him. Midway gives not so that people will think that Midway's great, we give so that people will think that Jesus is great. And we hope that you give either to, your, to our church or to other ministries or in other ways, however you give of the, the resources that God has given you, we hope that you give so that people will praise God. Because this is our clear message. The clear message that we want people to know is that God has graciously provided a way to be saved through Jesus Christ. You can see that at the end of the passage in verses um, 13 through 15, that God is knitting their hearts together. 
that as the Corinthian church gives and the Macedonian church gives, the Jerusalem church is going to receive that gift and they're going to be thankful to God and they're going to be thankful um, to these other churches. And they're going to pray for these churches and give thanks right here in verse 13 because the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel and for the liberality of your contribution to them. And while they, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. See, the church in Jerusalem is going to yearn for them. Their hearts are going to be turned towards, not only to the Lord, but also to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what God does. He brings the church together as we give. He makes us care about one another and love one another. He expands in our hearts our ability to be kind and to have genuine concern for other people. And again, that's not natural. And why are, our, why are we called to do all of these things that we don't do naturally? Because we have been transformed by Jesus. He has made us new. We were originally so selfish, so sinful, focused on our own needs, we wouldn't, have been, we wouldn't have cared about being generous. Aha, you say, but what about the people who don't know Jesus and they are generous? Well, I, w- I would suggest that they worship at the altar of humanism where they see people as the highest good, where they end up offering their gifts to the service of mankind. And I say we are called to something more, to worship Jesus, the giver of all things, and we get to serve others and love others and give generously because of what he's done. And not only are people blessed and encouraged, but God gets the glory that he deserves. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians 9 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift indescribable gift, and yet Paul has sat here for a couple of chapters, multiple paragraphs describing this gift. This indescribable gift is Jesus. This is what he says when he, in 2 Corinthians um, 8, when he talks about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. Jesus is the indescribable gift. We give not because people are worthy, but because God is worthy, and he has asked us to follow his example. We're owed nothing. God doesn't owe us anything except the just punishment for our sinful rebellion. And yet he lavishes grace on us and he gives mercy to us who don't deserve it. And he did it in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that we were rebellious, that we deserve judgment. And yet God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son to live a perfect life, to lay his life down for us on the cross. And so that those of us who believe in him, who repent of our sins and receive the forgiveness that he's promised can have eternal life so that our righteousness will endure forever because it's not our righteousness, it's his righteousness. He makes us new. He changes our hearts. He helps us to do the things that aren't normal, like serving and loving and humility being generous. Let's pray that God would continue to do that work in our heart. I want to encourage you all to, to take some initiative to, to, to learn about missionaries that we support 
to, to pray for them so that they aren't alone. They don't want to be alone in their ministries. That's why they've asked us for our help. And we have a great opportunity to come alongside them to be, to continue. You all, you all are so generous. This is, this is not a, hey, y'all get on it. This is a, hey, y'all excel even more. You are so generous. Uh, to me, to the families that we support, thank you, and let's continue to do that so that the name of Jesus will continue to be lifted up in all of these places. Let's have a word of prayer, and the praise team is going to come and um, lead us in one more song. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, uh, for your obedience. We thank you, Father, for your plan to bring, to, to bring us who are far off close, to bring those of us who are sinful and selfish near to change us from the inside out, to give us a heart that actually cares about the most worthy and valuable things. We thank you, Jesus, for this transforming work that you do in our heart. Would you help us to be more like you? Would you transform us and make us kind like you and patient like you, righteous like you and generous like you? Would you help us to keep our eyes on you, to not be distracted by this world, to be deceived by our enemy. But God, I pray that we would um, stand in truth, and as we stand in truth, that you would grow our love uh, for you even more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.